The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am Corbett and joining me today, it's Zach Overdraft. How you doing, Zach? How you doing, Gorb? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, except there have been like severe weather problems here. Uh, like just recently today, I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do an episode. We have no power. Uh, but it all came back in like an hour. Sometimes that just happens. They give you no warning whatsoever. They tell you that it's going to be like later that night and everything got all put back to normal got a stream in got to play some more hearthstone and get to talk to you today so you know a big twist in in my day it's always like that there's always like a a breakdown in power and then you call them and they tell you it's gonna take like four or five hours and then it comes back in like an hour (laughs) yeah i was uh already moving all the stuff out of the fridge the freezer and then it just instantly popped in uh popped back up like while we're doing oh that. you don't need to you don't need to empty your freezer over a few hours you can keep it closed and it's gonna maintain uh coolness for for a good good amount of time like only if it's like 12 hours do you empty your freezer and stuff well, they're very vague i guess it would have only been eight hours max but now i know for next time um, <laughs> then we can just keep that shut. Anyway, sorry, we we started off on a very like on a quite a tangent here, listeners. Um, let's talk about Hearthstone. <laughs> Zach, tell tell me all about Hearthstone this week. Yeah, I think Hearthstone's pretty cool, Corb. Um, the meta is uh the meta is standard looking uh pretty nice. Uh, the metas in Twist and Wow they're looking pretty broken. Um, I'm gonna be real. But you know, standards a good in, is in a good spot, um, and you know the lot of a lot of viable decks, a lot of decks of different play styles. Honestly, is there something to complain about? What are people? I, I honestly have not noticed complaints about standard right now. But are there? Have you have you felt them? Have you noticed them? Because it feels like complaints are an old time low. I can't remember the last time, you know, you look at the Twitter discourse and nobody's complaining about standard balance. I remember there were some complaints early in the patch. It always happens. Like, oh, Naga Mage is broken or stuff like um, the nerfs always make the meta worse. You know, you know that sentiment? Uh and now, like a week later, is just there's just silence. Nobody's complaining, and there's a good reason why nobody's complaining because I think the meta's good. <laughs> I think the standard format is in a really good spot right now, and you can play whatever you want to play. Any style, like pretty much every class is viable, and even you know shaman, which people felt bad about it being gone, is back now. So there really is pretty much. Every kind of deck that you want to play, uh, you can play in standard right now. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about Warrior a few weeks ago. Um, when that was really rising, you you mentioned, you know, we were speculating when was the complaining going to start about Warrior, and you were like, oh, but, you know, mid September. By September, people were going to start complaining. But then, like Warrior, kind of got curved a little bit. Like there were a lot of viable counters that popped up. The population didn't sort of explode too much um in the like post hound hunter nerf world 
and so yeah, it's it's a really tough meta for the complainers. You know, they um they've got their work cut out for them. Yeah. Honestly, I expected Warrior to be. I, I'm kind of the the most surprising thing about the patch is the fact that Warrior declined. You would expect after they nerf Hound Hunter that Warrior would rise, and I was a bit concerned that Warrior would be too good after the patch. But what ended up happening is that Warlock rose in play, and that ended up being even a more effective check on Warrior. So the Warrior numbers declined thanks to Warlock. Uh, so you swapped Hound Hunters. For a diverse set of warlock strategies that keep uh, uh, control warrior in check even more effectively. So let's talk about warlock because warlock is the the class that's uh, that's kind of made the the gone through the biggest change this week. It's it, it's really risen in play thanks to the the hunter nerfs um, because arcane hunter. Uh, tends to be really good against some of these decks in Hound Hunter uh, against a different type of decks, but uh, basically the 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 fact that Hound Hunter disappeared opened up space for these decks to to rise and play, uh, and at the center of it is Control Warlock, which is you know the the, the rising star um, of the format and a relatively new strategy at least in. in uh, in Titans, uh, and you know, there's there's been a lot of developments. We talked about in the report. We mentioned Doomkin, uh, that looks like a very good card in this archetype. Uh, it looks very promising, and the build that we have in the report has Doomkin. We add Finley. We cut Prison of Yog. Prison tends to be a very weak card uh, in in strategies that have good finishers on top of having good removal, uh, and Warlock has both of them. So Prison kind of doesn't doesn't perform very well but there's also a very recent development over the last maybe 48 hours i didn't have time to to work on this for the report which is renathal control warlock uh, a variant of that is starting to rise in play and looks very promising looks very strong it's got some there's a specific build that has some very suspiciously bad uh card choices but it still performs well despite those uh, those techs. Like it's over tech. It runs things like Enchanter, uh, Viper, Starfish, all the tech that you can think of. Somebody threw them in. Um, but the but the general idea is performing well um, uh, for this control warlock strategy. So I'm wondering what's going to end up happening. Whether it's going to be superior to thirty cards or not, uh, I'm not sure. But what I will say is that a Renathal build seems feasible and seems to be a viable alternative to 30 cards uh, in Control Warlock. And yeah, maybe the extra health is helping it in some matchups, um, but, but that's the situation. So uh, in the next report, I might have two lists of Control Warlock, one with 30 and the other with 40. Um, when it comes to Curse and Chad, there's there's not much changes there, um, you know what you can what you get with these strategies. Chad is like a more extreme control unlock in the sense that it hard counters um, warrior uh, because it has Sargeras and it's got Flesh Behemoth uh, and Imposing Anubisoth. These are I think the the cards the pieces that are most important 
or the warrior matchup. And Chad Warlock has all of them. Control Warlock has Sargeras and Imposing Anubisoth, while Curse Warlock only has Sargeras. And that matchup is not even favored. It's like close to 50-50. And Curse Warlock is the most uh, balanced deck in terms of matchup spread, but it falls off. Um, Especially at high levels of play, it really falls off. It has like a very limited skill ceiling, which is something that... um, you know, people normally don't expect, uh, and we talk. About, I talk about it in the report that all of these warlock strategies have a pretty limited skill trajectory, and they lose ground at high levels of play. Last week, control warlock looks looked really insane. Looked like a, a clear meta breaker, and it's very powerful at most rank brackets. But at top legend, it started to dip in its performance because it seems like better players are able to exploit its weaknesses once they figure out what it can do and what it cannot do. Uh, you started to see a trend of its performance kind of uh, um, dropping off at, at high MMR. So all of these strategies exhibit that characteristic, which is why I don't think that they're particularly threatening uh, for the you know the meta's balance, even at you know, diamond platinum ranks. Warlock is not overly popular or overly powerful, so uh, it, it's in a good spot. I think it's a it's a healthy class to have in a format right now, where it's popular, but it has so many different strategies that none of them really stand out too much. Um, so I think uh, it, it's definitely a good replacement for you know Hunter, which was really overbearing in terms of power. Uh, throughout most ladder brackets. Yeah, and uh, like you said, it's very diverse. So in terms of being a threat, it's not like any of these decks individually are all too popular or too strong. Like, you you stack them up. You know, not nothing's too extreme right now. I think sometimes people get a little too warped or are a little too caught up in classes compared to decks. You know, like a, like a one-deck class is very different than a four-deck class. And uh, Warlock being very diverse and not too popular, for, like, even on the whole, isn't really a problem. Seeing different decks but having the same portrait, can, they can often create very different experiences. But just because of that single thing, just having that portrait and access to some of the same cards and the same hero power can kind of create this problem where players do get sick and tired of seeing it, even if the decks themselves create kind of diverse experiences. Yeah, I mean, Warlock is popular, like Upper Diamond right now over the past uh, 24 hours, uh, 48, 72 hours. Uh, its, its play rate is reaching 25%. Which, if it was just one deck, you might have said, oh, okay, this deck is a little bit too overbearing. But the fact that it's uh, comprised of four different strategies, and none of these strategies have a player that's over 10%. And all of these strategies are pretty distinct. Uh, Control Warlock is very different from Curse, and Curse is very different from Chad. These are completely different decks. So the fact that they're all very different um, means that even though... The class is popular. It doesn't feel like uh, there is a deck that's really choking out the format. And there really is no meta tyrant right now. There is no deck that you, you cannot keep in check. And when you look at Warlock's matchup spread, Chad is very easy to target. Curse is not particularly dominant in any specific matchup. 
Uh, and control is also, uh, its matchup spread is not that scary. You look at the report data, you look at the matchup spread in the gold app. Control lock doesn't um, exhibit a, 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 um, a matchup spread of a deck that, you know, you can't stop it. If you really want to stop it, you can beat it with Curse Warlock, you can beat it with Rainbow Mage. Um, control Priest does fine into it. Relic Demon Hunter does really well against it. Shaman is coming up and it does really well against uh, slow Warlock strategies. So there are plenty of answers if you are looking to specifically target uh, the class, uh, which is why, you know, I've said in the report that Warlock's presence is far more accommodating to the success of other classes and other strategies compared to something like Hunter, which really limited what you could do. And at the at the center of it was uh, Faithful Companions before fate, because Faithful Companions was almost like an OTK clock in a deck that wasn't really an OTK deck. It's a deck that pressured throughout the game. And then, oh, they had this single card win condition that could just charge the opponent for 16 or 32 or even more damage off board. Um, so that that was a very limiting uh, thing for the format. And now that it's kind of gone, then you can see space opening up in the late game especially. Uh, but not not exclusively to the to the late game. So that's a situation. I think you know there all, there's always going to be a, a popular class, and if the popular class is fractured into different decks and none of them being a power outlier, then you're in a really good spot. Um, the other popular class that has one deck is Warrior, which is basically just Odin Control Warrior. And again, uh, I was a bit worried before the patch that it would be overly dominant but instead it's declining in play uh and its popularity is is uh a dropping as time goes on it's actually warrior is nearing over the past 24 hours uh you know i, I look at uh, data not just over the past week i also look at the trends of just the last few days and warrior is trending towards 10 percent play rate as a class getting close it's like 11 12 uh when before the patch it was like 20 so it's almost halved its presence and the reason why is because of warlock warlock is really keeping warrior in check uh, it's not that the thing is it's not that the matchups are super dominant like chad warlock is a really hard counter right but the matchup against control warlock for example is 42 50 uh, 58 it's like 43, 57, something like that. Between 40 and 45% win rate against Control Warlock for Warrior. And the Curse Warlock matchup is not even unfavored. In fact, it does seem that the Warrior may have a smallest bit of edge in that matchup, like a 1% or 2% edge. So why is Control Warlock so intimidating for Warrior? I think there's some psychological impact here with Sargeras. I think the the thought of facing Sargeras as a warrior seems to be dissuading control warrior players. Even though that card, if it comes down on turn 9, the warrior definitely has time and the space and the mana to get through the taunts every turn and still smack the warlock in the head. And you can see from the control warlock matchup that it's definitely possible. Yes, you're unfavored, but it's not like it's not like an oppressive counter. But just the psychological impact, I think, of Sargeras has an effect on the deck choices because I know that 
I like playing Warrior, and I'm kind of hesitant of encountering that matchup. That matchup is a bit stressful um, to deal with. And if they do, you know, play Symphony on five, and they get movement, movement of Pride, and they draw Sargeras and drop a turn six, that's when you really don't want to queue into that matchup. So even though that matchup in terms of numbers doesn't seem oppressive, it is a bit of a counter. And I think there's a lot of, there's a psychological impact uh, of facing that matchup that makes people say, okay, let's not play Warrior anymore, right? So that's, uh, that might be it. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, most of what people play, it's always about perception. And sometimes like stats come out and that changes the perception, but um, it's not the only thing, right? Like people don't just pick what they want to play because of a spreadsheet. That's never, ever true. Um, and so the perception of a matchup, how it feels is always going to be so much more important than the actual win rates when it comes to, you know, what people actually choose and what they ex- want to experience when they pick up Hearthstone. So I can definitely see that being true. Um, the super tilting part of like losing to a turn six Sargeras, like, yeah, that would be, that'd be brutal. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's not, the matchup is not fun, maybe. It, which is the main cause why uh, people are so heavily dissuaded uh, from playing Warrior. But it's a good thing that they're dissuaded because we don't want Warrior to be too popular or too powerful because we don't want Warrior to get nerfed, right? Like, all I want is for this deck to stay viable so that the people really enjoy playing it and they're still willing to queue into Warlocks and they're not scared of it, that they can play it and have success with it. And, and Warrior can absolutely do that. Which, by the way, Warrior also has a development. And it's, again, it's coming from the Renathal direction. It seems like this meta is greeting up a bit. And it's causing uh, uh, these defensive strategies to look into Renathal as a way to draw out the game. Uh, And, you know, after the patch, you know, Hunter's gone. Hound Hunter's gone. uh, Arcane Hunter declined. There's no reason to run the Renathal variant of warrior right there's there was a build if you remember though we featured it before the patch and it looked inferior then and it looks even more inferior now there's absolutely no reason to play the renathal variant of of control warrior however there is a new renathal build that seems to be adjusted for the current meta and seems to be working out much better and it might be a, a competitive alternative to the 30 card build once again might be next week, I'll feature again a Renathal variant. And the idea of this new build of the Renathal Odin Control Warrior is to cut all the, you know, the Naga Giants, uh, Igneous, Lava Gorger uh, from the depth package. You just drop it and you run faster cards. Uh, things like Weapons Expert, uh you run Asvidon the Grand Shield in order to, uh, I guess it has some strength in the mirror. Uh, uh, or even against Warlock, uh, sometimes you can copy a spell that's really valuable. Like if if they play a Symphony of Sins, you can play Asvidon. That seems like a powerful response, right? Uh, so there's all sorts of like faster cards. It's, it's a pretty cheap curve of the Renathal Control Warrior. Not not a lot of greedy threats, but efficient cards, fast cards that you can quickly drop to the board and also potentially respond to an opponent. I'm pretty sure that Asvidon is a response to Warlock. Uh, 
because of Symphony of Sins. Um, because when I look at its metrics of a card, uh, then I see uh, a significant uh, potential uh, strength in, in that specific matchup against uh, Warlock decks. So, interesting. I'll look into it. Again, Renathal builds tend to be overtacked with garbage. Uh, things like Viper is very common right now. Like I'm seeing control warlocks running double Viper. And this uh, this warrior build also runs Viper. And I don't really see a good reason to run Viper. Yes, a lot of people, a lot of decks run Ignis. But it's not like uh, you keep Viper in the mulligan to wait until turn 10 when they play the 10 mana weapon. And if you draw it later in the game and they, like, let's say they discover a weapon and they play it and you break it. They still hit you in the face with the weapon first they still got value off of the weapon and it seems like even in that situation it's not super helpful for you to to uh, attack your your deck in that way to, to just be able to respond to the 10 mana ignis weapon it's very situational um because viper is kind of useless in other matchups it's okay against mage but let's say okay here's a question you're playing against a mage. Do you keep Viper in a mulligan so you can play it on turn three after they specifically play Cosmic Keyboard? What if they don't play Cosmic Keyboard? How long are you going to keep that Viper in your hand and not trade it in order to find a better card? So Viper is a little bit, seems a little bit baity, but I'll look into it. So so Warrior, again, might be coming back in a Renathal form and a Renathal version that's a bit more in tune to the post Hound Hunter meta and into a Warlock meta with more cards that are effective in that matchup. So I'll look into it next week. It's a bit unfortunate that both of these occurrences happened just over the past 48 hours, and I really didn't have a chance to look at them for uh, this report, the report that we just got out. Well, just a podcast exclusive then, Zach. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, sometimes we get podcast exclusive and uh, that that's part of the reason why we have a podcast you know we have uh, like mini reports mini uh, breaking news of what's going on in the format uh yeah so that's uh that's what's going on for warrior um obviously in rage warrior based on the low sample that i have of it it could be a tier one deck but nobody <laughs> cares before just nobody cares it, it is funny seeing tier one low sample and rage warrior and outcast demon hunter like it's so weird to see that because you never yeah you never have like two decks that are this strong just not being played at all um but it's a unique situation because they just I, I don't know just people hate them like, i hate playing them i guess i don't know if it's hate for example outcast dh i think the warlock matchup is intimidating I've seen some comments about it. Like, no, Outcast DH can't be that strong because Defile just farms it or like Warlock has removal. And yes, Warlock is a tough matchup for Outcast DH. But, you know, tier one decks can have some tough matchups, but there are other matchups where they make up for it. So, um, yeah, these decks are good, but I suspect that they're going to stay pretty unpopular uh, because basically they're board centric, right? They don't have a lot of bursts from hand. And this meta is very removal focused. There's Control Warrior. There's Control Warlock. There's Control Priest. There's a lot of matchups where you just flood the board and hope they don't have it. And sometimes they don't have it and you win. But when you lose, it kind of feels bad. So 
I can understand that sentiment. Um, yeah, mage. Okay, so mage. Finally, I put Norganon in Rainbow Mage. Finally, after so long, where it looked like bait, looked like a pretty bad card. Uh, the the last reason I didn't put it Norganon in Rainbow Mage was that it's absolutely terrible against Warrior. All they do is just shield slam it, and it's gone. And you know the initial impact, the immediate impact of like maybe you deal five damage to something when you enters play. It's just not good enough. So it's really bad against Warrior. But since then, Warrior's numbers dropped by almost fifty percent. You're seeing like it's trending down pretty hard which helps Norganon, and in addition to that, Shaman is rising up, especially at higher levels of play, and Norganon, if there's a matchup where Norganon is nuts, it's a Shaman matchup. This is the best matchup for Norganon, and if Shaman continues to rise in play, then Norganon is only going to get better, but Norganon was also kind of meh against Hunter, and that's also gone, um, so yeah, and interestingly, Norganon is not as much of a liability in the Warlock matchups, uh, as it is in the mirror, right? Even though both classes run reverberation, it seems to me, based on the metrics, that it's much bigger problem to play it against mage than it is against warlock. Uh, so that also helps it, and it seems like a decent card. So you just run it. When it comes to Naga Mage, I'm not too worried about it. You know, early meta, first week, and Naga Mage is already looking tier two. On paper, that's kind of spooky. Why is it spooky? Because this deck has a very high skill ceiling. As of right now, it's the most skill testing deck in the format based on my internal metric of matchup differentials and stuff like that. Naga Mage looks very, very good um, in, in that metric. So you would expect over time, it can improve its performance as people learn how to play these, these matchups better. However, its performance is actually trending down. It seems to have hit a plateau in terms of learning. The people who have played, been playing Naga Mage for a long time, you know, they don't gain much from continuing to learn the deck because they've pretty much hit a, a plateau of, of ability with a deck. Obviously, you know, top players are going to do better. But what I'm saying, there is some sort of plateau of learning that saturates the deck in terms of its uh, potential at high MMRs. And it seems like Naga Mage may have hit that to the point where it's not really improving its matchups over time. And in fact, its win rate is dropping. Uh, it's more likely, I've mentioned the report, more likely to sink under 50% at Top Legend than it is to get close to 52. So there, I, I did hear if there, if there were any complaints about this meta, I heard early on about players being frustrated uh, about Naga Mage. And I can say that based on current trends, it's unlikely to blow up any further. It's nearing the 10% play rate at top legend, but it's not going to exceed that. It's going to be around 9 or 10% play rate with a win rate potentially a little bit under 50%, which I think is a good spot for a deck to be because it means that the people who play it, they play it because they enjoy Naga Mage, but it's not the most successful deck out there. Right? If Naga Mage had a win rate of like 53% at top legend, then its play rate may have exploded to like 20 or 15 at least. And that would have been unpleasant. But as it stands, it's not really a threat. So that's that's also good news. Yeah. Um 
I mean, it really is a mech rogue then. We <laughs> It's like keeping it, right? Uh, that's kind of like the one bad matchup. Not to skip ahead to the next class or anything. But um, apart from that, I think Naga Mage matchup spread looks super, super clean as, as far as I can tell. So It's pretty balanced. It's it, it doesn't really... It, Naga Mage doesn't really dominate anything. I think Control Priest is a matchup that it kind of dominates. Um, uh, there are people who, who say that the Control Warrior matchup in practice is uh significantly favored to the naga mage if if the mage knows what they're doing yeah there are people saying that this matchup should be lopsided for the naga mage and the warrior can't really do anything i'm obviously not seeing that at all from the data the data tells me even a top legend that matchup is 50 50 so do you know what the general idea is there or like yeah i know it's very broad to just like say if the mage knows what they're doing, but do you know if there's like a key difference in terms of like game plan or like trying to reverb the the siren or like just making smaller boards or, or like I think they like just that? set up like an OTK kind of turn where the warrior cannot really respond and they don't stretch their resources too thin. They don't play aggressively too aggressively into brawl and stuff like that. And Apparently, they can just pressure uh, consistently, pressure the warrior consistently to the point their their life total isn't too high, and they can just OTK, do some execute something like that. I don't know. Um, obviously, if you run reverb, that's more feasible. But again, as like I'm looking at the stats, it's fifty fifty. I, I doubt uh, matchups. You know that change through piloting should not change you know from top legend to like optimal god play by 15 20 percent i doubt that's a thing you know I, I doubt that's a thing uh but maybe you know naga mage is a deck that's very skill intensive and if there is an exception that that would be it but again i'm a bit i'm skeptical of that um okay so rogue uh mech rogue again the deck that just Somehow stays the best performing deck at top legend. Um, still is. Uh, as it stands, it's not showing any signs of losing that grip. Uh, and it's a deck that when you look at the frequency graphs, it's much more popular at top legend. It's almost behaving like Miracle Rogue. Where <laughs> yep. it's 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 not too it's you see it on ladder. People play it at diamond, platinum, such. But at top legend, it spikes. And it also gets a little bit better. So Mechrogue actually gains, not a lot, but gains like half a percent or a percent in, across matchup spread going into top legend. So unlike Hunter or Paladin or, you know, decks that you would think that Mechrogue would fall off because it's board centric and it's aggressive, so it's probably brain dead and such. No, the numbers do not suggest that at all. In fact, the numbers suggest that this deck is one of the more complex aggressive decks that you can play. Um, and I guess that players at lower ranks can really throw with it. Like, it's very... The thing about macro games is that they're determined pretty early. Pretty much a lot of macro games are, are done by turn four. But it seems like there is critical and very sensitive execution at these turns. Uh, and especially also with the mulligan phase that make better players able to, you know, get more out of it, be able to blow out their opponent more frequently, 
or make it difficult for the opponent to respond to what they're doing. Uh, that's my impression. Uh, so Mechrog is a deck that, again, it's not like, it's not Naga Mage, but I'm saying it holds up at high levels of play and even gains a little bit, you know, in contrast to things like Hunter and Paladin and, you know, Totem Shaman. These decks all fall off, but Mechrog does not. Um, is it because Mechrog, you know, removes agency from a matchup? That's another theory. Right, that it just removes agency, so you can't outplay it. But I, I don't think so. If that was the case, that it removed agency, agency, it wouldn't gain percentages in matchups. But the fact that it gains, it actually looks better at higher levels of play, suggests there's more to it. Uh, but but yeah, I I imagine that would be kind of that line you said about playing around responses, playing around answers, uh, just because like Mechrog in theory can you know, either push wider or depending on what it magnetizes, it can kind of bring its minions to very specific breakpoints. Um, you know, like playing a card, playing around a card, like, I don't know, something as simple as Blade Storm or, uh, you know, some, something similar, maybe like Defiles in Warlock. Um, there's probably like a lot of decision-making there, uh, especially in those early critical turns that you're talking about. Maybe not, maybe not the most in the world, because it's not like we're talking about Naga Mage or anything, but, you know, enough to make it meaningful between the better pilots and the weaker pilots uh, when playing a deck like this. Yeah, and, and this this is what this is suggesting. You know, playing around Bladestorm. Like, you can you can make a mistake or play in a suboptimal line. And it's just the difference between winning or losing a game. Especially, in, uh, suppose, in a tougher matchup like Control Warrior, which is one of the tougher matchups for Mechrog. The main counters for Mechrog are Control Warrior, Control Priest, and um, Pure Paladin. And the reason why, you know, Control Warrior and Control Priest have removal, which is what Mechrog is upset tune into, and Pure Paladin just runs you over. Like, because it floods the board and it denies you the ability to establish your own. So, uh, in, in terms of, like, Control Warrior, for example, its removal is kind of situational, and you can kind of play around it. Things like the Bladestorm, the Brawl, the Shield Slam, you can deny them uh, some of those things. So, or Bash early in the game. Maybe you play uh, uh, the 2-drop, the 2-mana, two 2-3. You avoid playing it into a bash and make sure that it's out of range. There's all sorts of things that you can do. With Priest, I think it's more difficult to play around its removal. So uh, this is why that matchup is more difficult. Because they can always, at any point, just shard you. And it, it, it's tough. Uh, but yeah, definitely there is room for maneuvering and piloting in Macroak. That's what it suggests to me. Uh, control priest. So control priest, I think, is going through a good development. The good development for control priest is that it's turning into a deck that's, you know, reasonably mediocre throughout ladder. It's it's mediocre. It's average. It's not dumpster and then turns into playable at top legend. You look at its win rate throughout ladder. It seems to be leveling out. Why is it leveling? Because hound hunter is gone. Hound hunter and hunter in general has been a big problem for Priest at most ladder brackets. And Hunter, even when at its prime, tended to drop off a little bit in its popularity at Top Legend, with gay, which gave Control Priest more breathing room. But now you're starting to see Control Priest looking like Tier 3, Upper Tier 3, 
even at diamond platinum ranks. Uh, and this is the cause here is the hunter nerfs. It's much more comfortable queuing into warlock. Is that matchup dominant? No, but you you'd you'd rather run into control warlock than hound hunters. That's for sure. Like it's a good trade off for the priest. And matchups like Chad Warlock, you're dominant against Chad. Curse Warlock is a tougher one because they have a clock on you and you don't pressure very well. And usually you give them time to ramp up their curse damage and, and that can kill you. Uh, but the other Warlock decks, uh, Priest is fine with. Undead Priest is also encouraged and it seems to be, its performance seems to be trending up. And the reason is just Warrior. Like, like over the last couple of weeks, Undead Priest performance seems to be entirely tied to how many warriors are in the format. A couple weeks ago, tons of warriors, Undead Priest looked bad. Now, warrior is in decline, so Undead Priest looks better. Like, the armor gain is too much. This is a burn deck, a burn aggressive deck. So naturally, a control warrior with a lot of armor and removal is going to give it a really hard time. So what Undead Priest wants to see is not a lot of warriors. The Priest in general is in a solid spot to competitive decks. And Control Priest finally looking like a deck that, you know, you can play in Platinum and Diamond and not, not tank your, your performance uh, because it, it used to be a lot worse because of Hunters. Uh, okay, so Shaman. Shaman, one of the most um, important developments this week is the Return of Nature Shaman. Uh, the build, the adjustment is to run Jazz Bass. Uh, that allows you to more easily execute your OTK because you can discount by luminescence and make up for the fact that it costs four mana now. Uh, the deck still executes the OTK slower, like it, it got delayed, uh, which is a good thing. This is why we nerfed the deck, right? We wanted to delay the OTK turn. But the fact that Hound Hunter, which was an oppressive matchup, is now completely gone. And it's replaced by more Warlocks. And Warlocks are really good matchups for, for Nature Shaman. Shaman is very comfortable queuing into Warlocks because they're vulnerable to over-the-top burst and they don't pressure very well. Unless you uh, forge of wills into imposing Anubisoth and get a 4-mana 7-7 and, you know, follow that up with more pressure cards, which is like, I don't know, you play uh, Symphony and you get a 6-6, six, six, the, the, the taunt with Reborn, and you smack them in the head. That can happen. And Warlock can fight back in that matchup, but generally and obviously, it's not very good at pressuring. It's not very consistent at it. So the Shaman gets time to execute its thing. Uh, so Nature Shaman's matchup spread looks a lot better now that Hunter is gone. That, that was the big problem, and we talked about it last week, that what ended up happening, the nerf to Shaman was the correct one, but the nerfs to Hunter were not enough to Hound Hunter initially. Now that Hunter, Hound Hunter is gone, you see the potential of Nature Shaman to be competitive in the format. And uh, it's still unfavored against things. You know, Mage, especially if it runs Solid Alibi, is tough. Right now, there's no justification to run Solid Alibi. But that doesn't stop people from doing that. Uh, in addition, yeah. In addition, you've got Mechrog, which is a tough matchup. And Warrior is not easy, too. I think that matchup, if you know, like, I think that matchup has potential to improve over time. I think people need to... Adjust to it. It seems like Shaman is gaining. The matchup looked unfavored for the Shaman. Uh, something between 40 and 45% win rate against Warrior at top legend. But now I'm seeing maybe that matchup is, is getting a bit closer uh, as people learn how to execute um, 
their turns uh, with the new build because there's still it's an adjustment to play with four mine and bioluminescence and jazz bass is not the easiest uh card to optimize through through playing it and maybe it's 45 now maybe it's a little bit more than that maybe it's closer to 50 50 we'll see how that develop it's also depends on the build from the warrior side right and what the warrior does in that matchup but generally that matchup is unfavored but Seems unfavored, but not too bad, right? So the bad matchups is like something like Mecro that can really snowball on you and you don't have good responses to it uh, or things like Mage, especially when they run Alibi. But other than that, you look at the rest of uh, Nature Shaman's matchup spread, looks very good. The deck looks quite strong and has a lot of potential to be very competitive in this format. Uh, is it going to be oppressively uh, uh, strong? Is it a problem? Not really. I'm not really seeing... Uh, it's win rate rising over time. I think as it rises in play, it's going to attract more of a response against it. So I'm not I'm not concerned with it. I think it's in a good spot right now. And this is the kind of power level you want an OTK deck to have, like a deck that's uh, have the, that kind of over the top burst. It's win rate is fine. It's like tier two ish, right? Its play rate isn't high. It's not too popular. Uh, I suspect that even in saturation of popularity, it's not going to be much, at least right now, it's not seen, it doesn't seem to be on pace to hit even uh, a 5% play rate at top legend. Really? So, you know, wow. this, this, yeah, so you would expect, right? This, that people love nature shaman, high level players really loved nature shaman. So I thought it would be tier two. Oh yeah. It's, it's player. It would rise to something like 10%. But as of right now, I'm not seeing that. I very much doubt it hits 10%. Interesting. Uh, based on, on the pace of growth that I'm seeing from it. But we'll see. Uh but uh but yeah, I think it's in a good it's a good spot for the deck to be in. Uh and makes it more likely that it stays viable for a longer period of time and not get hit with nerfs. Yeah, well, I, I really would have expected Shaman to explode a little bit more. Um but again, maybe maybe it just goes again about how matchups feel when Mech Rogue is one of the most popular things, uh, maybe Warrior feels a lot harsher than it actually is. Um, I don't know. It, it is, like, I'm sure players will get used to playing with the new build. Uh, from what I can see, it looks like Jazz is getting very much overkept. <laughs> um, people probably just see, like, three mana weapon and just, like, keep the weapon. But uh, you kind of outlined the, you know, it's often more of a, like, a late game piece, right? With the bioluminescence to make that combo a lot it's easier. A, it's a combo enabler. It's more of a combo enabler than something you want to keep in the opening hand because you just waste the charges. You just ended up wasting the, the discount if you play it early and you swing twice. And what are you doing with it? It's a bio enabler, a, a swing turn enabler later in the game and not something that you generally want to curve out on turn three. It can help you in aggressive matchups. Killing two things is okay sometimes, but... In the slower matchups, not. Now, I can see how the Control Warrior matchup maybe is intimidating. And also, remember, this is a bit different. Uh, this deck is more difficult now to play than it was. It was already difficult before. But I, I my, my intuition tells me that this deck is more difficult now because of the fact that it's, it's harder to execute the OTK with Bioluminescence, costing 4 mana. So that might dissuade people from like... Oh, I, I don't want to learn this again. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to throw so many games with it. It's a bit tough for me. Maybe I'll skip and play something else. Uh, that might be the reason. 
even for high MMR players, if there's something that's like just really stressful to play or they're not ready to play it, then they won't play it. So this is what we're seeing. Uh, its play rate so far is not indicative of something that's going to explode. Okay, Hunter. Uh, nothing changes in terms of builds for these archetypes so far. There might be some adjustments uh, that are going to happen, but the problem is that Hound Hunter is being abandoned. The deck is just being abandoned because it's not performing well. It's uh, its win rate is sinking really hard above Diamond Five, uh, which is you know the upper MMR brackets at this stage of the month. You start seeing uh, Hound Hunter really struggling. It's pretty much disappearing from play uh, at at high MMRs. Like over the past uh, twenty four hours, at top legend, Hound Hunter's play rate is under zero point three percent. Wop wah. Oh no. It's just gone. Yeah, it's just gone. It's not a thing. Uh, it's a deck that has disappeared. Now, Arcane Hunter is still around. Its player is not high. It's like four, maybe a little bit more than that, around 4%. But it's perfectly viable. You look at its win rate, its performance, it's actually holding up quite well. I was I was fearing that it would tank because Arcane Hunter is a deck, you look at it. Uh, last week, uh, even when it was extremely dominant before the balance changes, it still dropped off by like four percent from diamond ranks to top legends. So you would think that if its performance has tempered throughout ladder, that it would sink further at top legend. But it seems like that's not the case. That maybe maybe that skill trajectory softened because the raw power is lower, but. Uh, We'll have to see over time how it responds. But so far, I'm not seeing any indication of this deck tanking its performance at higher levels of play. It might be that, you know, very often when you nerf a deck, the good matchups rise in play, right? Uh, because people are saying, oh, this deck has fallen, so now I can play this deck that's bad against it. Now, decks like that, things like Curse Warlock, they're still unfavored against Hurricane Hunter. So... If Arcane Hunter, uh, if the good matchups rise, then Arcane Hunter, even though the deck is weaker in a vacuum, it makes up for it by the fact that its matchup spread is a little bit uh, more accommodating. Uh, so this is kind of what I'm seeing right now with the deck, uh, and it still seems viable. But Hound Hunter, again, got hit too hard. We talked about it in the last podcast. I think if they nerf a Faithful Companion first, and avoid Hollow Hound and Fox Spirit nerfs. I think that puts the deck in a good spot. But they ended up making the smaller changes first. Uh, and that didn't work out. And then they made the big change. And the big change was the, in my opinion, the correct one. Because when you look at Hound Hunter's matchup spread, the problem was always the late game matchups because of faithful companions. In the faster matchups, it was not too dominant. So now that you nerfed Hollow Hound, you nerfed Fox Spirit. You nerf the way that Hunter would respond to a faster opponent, then the faster matchups become too too weak. Like it's too weak in the faster matchup, it gets rolled over, and that's the cause of it, the, the win rate just tanking. Like if if uh, if the faster matchups are bad, it needs to be dominant, very polarizing in the late game matchups. But now that you soften the late game matchups, then there is no reason to play it anymore. So that's the unfortunate part. But again. I do recognize that nerfing Hound Hunter and making it disappear from the format has opened up a lot of space for other strategies to be good. So 
the the glass half full thing to note is that Arcane Hunter is still viable. And if you still enjoy playing Hunter, you can play Arcane Hunter and it's a perfectly fine deck. Yeah, and the uh the knock-on effects, you know, like you like you said, by Hound Hunter completely disappearing, Warlock is uh present, but one of the absolute softest, like most popular classes that you could really have in terms of how diverse it is and how many strategies it lets leave open. So yeah, I, I mean, not the worst thing in the world, even if it is kind of a bit sad. Um, but now, speaking of sad, the the last three classes, we, we get into some kind of depressing territory a little bit. Um, <laughs> not really. It's well, not depressing at all. How is it depressing? Like, okay, here, here's the thing. Druid okay. is fine. Drum Druid is a good deck. People just don't want to play it, but we know it's good. I think that's the part that I find a little depressing. Uh, more than anything, you know, like the, the excitement factor for these classes, less so than necessarily the performance, uh, if I was to reframe that. Here's the thing, okay? If Drum Druid played Eonar and Freya, its play rate would be three times uh, higher than it is right now. I think the main reason <laughs> that Drum Druid is just not played is because it doesn't have an exciting late game. It's like game is like, drum. you play Drum Circle, your opponent concedes, you don't even have time to enjoy that. So... That's that's the main uh, issue with Druid right now. The other possible reasons why Drum Druid um, is not played much again, it's getting its face beam like ninety percent of the time. <laughs> so maybe it's not a pleasant experience, but you know we've talked about it a lot, and uh, yeah, but but the deck is fine. Like Drum Druid is very good if you run into the good matchups, which mo- most of them are. Most of the matchups are good. Like, the bad matchups is, like, Macrog and Pure Paladin. And I guess Shaman is rising a little bit, and that's tough. Like, playing against Nature Shaman is not... That matchup is pretty oppressive uh, for the Druid. But you look at the other matchups, it looks very good. It's good against Warlocks. It's good against Warrior if you run top here. It's good against Mage. It's good against, the like, all the Warlock strategies it seems pretty comfortable against. And even the Arcane Hunter matchup, which used to be really bad, softened up. That matchup is like 45-55. That matchup used to be 30-35% win rate you would have in that matchup. It used to be close to oppressive. And now it's a lot more reasonable. So Drum Druid is in a good spot in the meta right now. Just to have people not too excited to play it. And people are a bit excited to play Moonbeam Druid, but it's complete garbage because the moment your opponent plays a minion, you just die. Uh, it has no defensive tools whatsoever, but I did found it interesting enough to refine because the main mistake people are making in the deck building phase is they're not running Funnel Cake and uh, they're running Nourish, and Nourish is really bad. Uh, in that build, you just don't forge Embrace of Nature. You just use it to just draw, and you don't need it in the early game at all. Um What's interesting about this, even though this might not be relevant for this specific Moonbeam Joy, that this thing is never going to be viable, it tells me that Funnel Cake might be a slept-on card. Like, maybe Funnel Cake, down the road, there is some Druid deck that executes a combo, and people need to consider Funnel Cake in that, because it's a great enabler of combos. I mean, it's it's been a very oppressive combo. Well, I shouldn't say oppressive, but a, a very broken combo enabler in wild um in in two different decks uh it was the clergy priest which eventually led to the clergy ban um again that deck wasn't great like that deck wasn't good but it did like draw its entire deck by turn four 
and that was largely driven by final cakes and it's also very good tony druid in wild um so there is the two these two combo uh decks that do try and do like these turn four turn five otks that has had final cakes as a huge enabler in them um so it's not a surprise to me to see something like that in in standard obviously there are less like otk solitary style decks in this format but there'll definitely probably be something that pops up while it's in standard at some point yeah i think that standard players need to remember that funnel cake is in the format and if there's ever a degenerate combo in the future that Druid is able to execute Funnel Kick is probably be going to be responsible for it. It's a card to keep an eye out for. Uh, Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter, again, it's a good class. Relic Demon Hunter is great. Relic Demon Hunter is my deck of choice, Corb. I play Relic Demon Hunter. I like Warrior, but something is keeping me from playing Warrior. And I like Rainbow Mage, but I'm not eager to play it right now. And it's just the answer for me is Relic Demon Hunter. This is what I play. The reason? Its matchup spread is very balanced. You look at its matchup spread for Relic Demon Hunter... It's perfect for me. You know why, Corb? It's really balanced. You have a lot of, you know, close matchups and everything feels winnable, but you stomp on Priest. That's that's my kind of deck, Corb. That's what I want. I want close matchups against everything, but not against Priest. So, uh, uh, this is what Relic Demon does. Uh, the matchup against Warrior uh, seems stressful on paper. Basically, the key is to not let them Odin. Like, you need to pressure them to the point where they always have to respond to what you do so that they don't have time to play Odin. And sometimes your hands are not going to allow you to do that. Sometimes they get the Odin off, and once they play the Odin in a comfortable position, you're probably going to die within two turns uh, because you have no taunts, you have no way to protect yourself from the Odin. It does make me wonder if it's time to run Rotten Apple Bomb again. I did think about that. <laughs> yep. But what people are more likely to pivot to is things like the disruption package, like Speaker Stomper uh, or, you know, uh, Meltranix, uh, stuff like that. This is what people are more eager to, to, to queue up uh, and, and play even at the cost of their own performance because right now there's no reason to play speaker stomper even at top legend there's no reason like if shaman's play rate is four or five percent there's no great reason to run speaker stomper um but maybe you know some builds try to cut uh illidari studies uh in order to make space to run fizzle jotun and still be able to run speaker stompers i'm not an advocate of that as of right now uh, and Outcast DH, you know, we talked about it. It's a good deck, but people are just not very eager to play it. Yeah, I have a confession. I forgot. I, I forgot that Relic Demon Hunter existed. I'm sorry. Oh, this is why you you called it sad. You said the last classes are sad. Yeah, Relic Demon Hunter is really good. It's just that it's kind of old, and the new cards that it has, like, it, you know, it just runs Argus and Jotun. That's it. And the, the rest of the deck is the same. And I've been playing Relic Demon Hunter for over a year now. <laughs> and honestly, it's been a good run. I haven't been too bored playing it. Like, I really like Relic. Like, you know, the feeling, Corb, when you play Vault and then you click it and then play Dimension, I'm addicted to it. I'm not sure I'm ever going to lose that feeling. Uh, I just love that. But, uh, but yeah, most people are not too eager to play it. But it's my deck. It's my kind of deck. Anyway. Uh, Paladin, Paladino, Agro Paladin with Penguin. We talked about it in the last podcast. We featured the report this week. Uh, try it out. 
it might be better than Pure Paladin. Um, it, it shows a lot of promise. At worst, it's as good, right? But there's a chance that it's better. We'll see. Uh, the fact that you can reload the board faster, and on the other hand, still have card draw through Famish Fool in the slower matchups, uh, means that you can very consistently uh, sustain Crusader aura threats, uh, and your opponent really needs to be able to constantly clear your board in order to avoid that. So Paladin looks fine. Pure Paladin got worse this patch because Hunter, Hound Hunter matchup disappeared. Instead, you're running into Warlocks. That's not the best matchup. Some of them have really good removal packages. Less so the Chad, but more the Curse and Control. These matchups can be tough for the Paladin because Defile is a thing. Uh, and if you're a dude paladin that floods the board with tokens, then Defile generally uh, does a really good job against you. And then we've got Death Knight. Death Knight, worst class in the game. I think it's undisputed for me. Uh, Unholy can be good at some rank brackets. It even has a positive win rate. It got worse again because of Warlocks and Defile. Um, but it's perfectly competitive. The thing is, people don't care much about it. It has one new card from Festival of Legends. So its play rate is not going to be higher than 2-3% max. I don't even think it's going to reach 3. Uh, and then Plague and Blood Control, which are the decks that people want to play, are garbage. Like, they are unequivocally garbage. They're just so bad. Um, there's no reason to play them if you want to climb ladder. Uh, and for in addition to that, these are decks that get even worse at higher levels of play. Uh, we talk about... Uh, a skill ceiling, a limited skill ceiling, blood control, and plague death. I display that these decks are very limited, and better players do even better against them. So, so the hot, so they're mediocre at low ranks, and the higher you climb ladder, they become even worse and worse and worse. So. I feel like that's um, been very true for the majority of Death Knight decks. Like if I think back on um, like Frost Aggro Death Knight, that was another deck that really fell off. Uh, at high levels at play, it seems to be a little bit of a pattern within the class, which I guess makes a little bit of sense because it is sort of a Paladin 2.0 in some capacity. I mean, I think that its synergies are very telegraphed. And it, it, even though a lot of people talk about the Discover, uh, I think the class is very predictable. And what it's capable... I think in a way it's kind of as a result of good design that really um, highlights its strength and weaknesses of each rune type. Like, you know what each one of them can do and what they cannot do. So in a sense, since its strength and weaknesses are so uh, obvious, then top-level players are able to exploit it better. Like, you know exactly what blood control can do in terms of removal, and you can play around it better at higher levels. And also... At high MMR, there are more decks with strong inevitability tools, right? Tends to be, like, Top Legend tends to be a format that has stronger late game compared to, you know, Platinum, Diamond Ranks, where you climb the Legend, you see more aggressive decks. So then maybe that's more comfortable for the Blood Control Death Knight, right? But at Top Legend, people tend to play less aggressive decks. They like to play the late game inevitability, and that's not good for Blood Control. In addition to that, Plague, that's like when you look at that deck, it's a minion pile. Even though the deck is very defensive and it wants to drag out the game, uh, it's still very limited in terms of 
responding to an opponent's threats. So you can uh, um, you can attack it more effectively if you're fully aware of what it's capable of doing and what it's not capable of doing. So all Destiny that kind of exhibit that very um, accentuated weaknesses that high-level players can exploit better. But uh, in general, I think that the main problem for Death Knight is that it's just gone stale. It's just stale as a class. Uh, a lot of people highlight, talk about the rune restriction. I don't think the rune restriction is an inherent problem for the class. I think that the big problem is that it got a set that's dedicated to one archetype, and that archetype is not particularly good. And uh, the other archetypes that Death Knight has are kind of the same archetypes from March of the Lich King, with a little, with some small differences. Um, so at some point, when you increase the power level, they're gonna go stale. They're gonna disappear. You saw it. Frost disappeared first, right? And Unholy is kind of trying to come back, but it's also like, it's probably next expansion. It's probably gonna be unplayable if they keep increasing the power level. And same thing for Blood Control. The only reason why Blood Control is even visible on the map is that people insist on playing it even when it's tier 4, which is indicative of good design, right? But not very good. Like, it's not very competitive. So Death Knight, I would like to see um, something. <laughs> I'd like to see more support for uh the three uh branches three rune branches that it currently has uh because they've gone stale yeah um i mean you said that you know a big problem with this current set for death knight was the fact that it did get a whole bunch of cards dedicated to one archetype and then if that flops then the set kind of flops um i am kind of trying to like reconcile that because they have spoken previously that they will favor one rune in particular um when it comes to new expansions they can't necessarily support or they don't really want to try and support all three at once uh they said there'll be a primary focus and then another rune might get a secondary focus like a, a small batch of cards and then another might be left out entirely so I, I i do wonder if there is a problem with the rune set with the rune mechanic in general like i, I don't know basically because we've only seen a couple expansions from death knight like i don't know where this ends up going i don't know whether they do keep mix and matching things with multiple rune requirements or what does it look like if a set isn't entirely plague death knight um so i don't know i'm very very interested to see the death knight cards more than anything else when it comes to the mini set that's uh, coming up soon and then more importantly the next expansion like i'm gonna really keep an eye on on that just to see what we get because it seems like a very difficult task to try and manage these three runes simultaneously while trying to introduce sometimes a fourth type of flavor archetype like the the plagues that they've done i think that this is an arbitrary limitation in 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 our heads because we keep thinking about the runes but let me ask you another question do they support Imporlock every expansion or like zoo no, sometimes they skip support. Sometimes there's an expansion without support for Zoo Warlock Archetype. Or there's some expansion where there's no support for a Control Warlock Archetype. Or there's a, there's an expansion that doesn't have support for Ramp Druids. So the fact that you can have an expansion with no support for Blood or Frost or Unholy in a specific expansion does not mean that we have a problem, right? 
because they simply didn't support this archetype in this expansion. And this happens to every class. Every class is going to experience that where one of their archetypes does not get support. But, you know, things like Relic Demon Hunter seems to be sticking around despite the fact that they don't have the full focus of each expansion, right? So the fact that we have the runes and the fact that they choose to support one or two runes in every expansion should not be the limitation that you think it is, that it seems to be, that a lot of people talk about, oh, since they can't, they're not going to print Frost cards this expansion, that means that Frost needs to, like, is going to stagnate and die. That's not necessarily what happens. They simply support it just like they support every other class with multiple archetypes. It's just that it, it just because the rune restriction is so dramatic and so visible to us, then we start looking at it as a problem. But I think the main thing that they might consider, might think about, is let's say you do a focus on, let's say you have an expansion, you're planning to have blood as the full focus and frost as the secondary focus. I think it would be smart, maybe, to give one card to unholy but have that card be really good you know what i mean you like if you make an expansion and you print a scent mostly dedicated to a specific archetype to support it through a package of multiple cards then maybe the the the, the rune that doesn't get much attention from you needs to get like one card that's really exciting and good and that keeps the the fire burning that keeps the interest right uh, compared to if you give them no cards whatsoever, right? And then it just stagnates. Even if it's good, let's say, look at Unholy, right? Unholy basically got one card, the Primus. Nothing else seems to work. And that's nearly not enough because the Primus is not even an Unholy card. It's just a Death Knight card that every Death Knight deck is going to play. But maybe if you gave Unholy a, a, a super exciting uh, Unholy card, dedicated Unholy card, that maybe changes something in what in how the deck plays out, then people would still be interested in it to some extent. Um, and I'm not saying they didn't try it. I do think they tried it through things like Kraken, like indirect support to eggs and, and stuff like that. But it just didn't work out. So it's not easy to do, but it's something to you know think over. Maybe this is what we need to do. Maybe we need to, like when we dedicate an expansion to to art runes, then the third one that kind of getting ignored needs this one card that makes people think. Uh, but again, it's it's a tough job. And again, I don't think that this is the big problem because sometimes Zoo Warlock doesn't get support in an expansion. Sometimes Ramdroid doesn't get support in an expansion or a Control Priest or an Undead Priest or, you know, archetypes don't always get new cards every expansion so this is not i don't really see that as a problem overall i think we're in a good spot in the meta um what's interesting is that there's a brawl going on and usually a mini set happens a week after the brawl ends which would suggest that the mini set is coming in like a couple weeks maybe even less so that seems early but it's possible uh that we're getting in a mini set pretty much mid-september uh i'm excited about it i'm excited to see the mini set ruin this meta um <laughs> we've always we always we always reach the point where you know meta's balanced everything's good there's no power outlier and then the mini set comes in 
Uh, we'll see what kind of cards uh, it supports. I'm quite curious about some of them. Uh, for example, the Warrior set. What is that going to do? Is that going to give more complementary pieces to Control Warrior, potentially? Um, how is Warlock shaping up in the mini set? That's kind of interesting. And especially when you talk about the less popular class, what is Demon Hunter getting? Is Demon Hunter getting something that's going to make you think differently about the the garbage cards that it got in the Titan set? Um or Druid, for example, also maybe needs a little bit more help in terms of interest. So I'm I look forward to seeing what what kind of uh, additions that the classes get. Uh, but for now, the format's pretty chill. Yeah, uh, it seems like a really nice uh, place for the format to be um, right now. A again, with the with the mini set, I mean the brawl is almost always like the big tell. We don't we don't know, but I will say last time we thought it was quote unquote like a bit early. Uh, with festivals coming out on the 11th and then the mini set came out on the 31st of May. So, you know, about like 50 days. And this time we had the expansion, um, I can't remember, I, I think it was like very early in August. Uh, so, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we don't know, but it'll probably be not too far away anyway. In the meantime though, um, keep enjoying that Hearthstone. You know, Standard's in a, in a very interesting spot. Um, Twist is new, Wild is... Well, I mean, you play wild if you want to get your broken fix, and, you know, that'll never change. So, you know, wild's there for the people that want to enjoy wild. But, um... Titans came out August 1st, Corb. So Okay, on the on the 1st. Yeah, so, like... So it's, like, also 50 days, kind of. Maybe, kind of, so we'll see. No, it, like, if the mini set comes out, like, in two weeks, it would be the 19th? Yep. It would be September 19th, because that's a Tuesday, so... Right. We'll see. It's either 19th or 26th. Uh, but the brawl kind of suggests that it's probably going to be on the 19th. Uh, but yeah. Which means we're going to have a normal report. What, what's, what's certain is that we're going to have a normal report on the 14th. Um, people have asked me if I'm doing twist content. Um, like, okay, so here's the... In terms of game count, twist isn't doing too hot. But it's probably going to be possible for me to do a twist report. I'm not going to make promises and I'm not going to say a date, but it's something that I am planning for. However, I will say that if I do a twist report, you may not want to read it because <laughs> <laughs> that format is not, is not the most balanced format I've ever seen. In fact, it's one of the least balanced format I've ever seen. That, that I will say. Um, they need to do something about rogue and warlock specifically it's pretty obvious to everyone who plays that format that these classes are a tier above the rest warrior is also fine but there's like three classes in the format basically well uh, what if i what if i told you it was a fourth a fourth broken deck sack i think there's i think there might be a fourth thing that's what good. anything paladin anything no, I, paladin? I think i think face hunter with trial of jumongas might actually be quite strong but you know that's not a zacko uh quote that's a that's a corb quote so i'm just throwing that one out there from what i've seen from face hunter it does not look good but maybe there's some uh maybe there's some cooking mm -hmm. that makes it good but yeah. uh yeah yeah um in general though yes uh definitely agree that right now it's one of the least balanced things i've ever seen i did sort of like an estimated class like graph and it seems like it's about 90 percent of legend games so warlock for where we are or rogue so um 
that's nice. Anyways, <laughs> I think we had some good conversation here, uh, especially uh, some interesting thoughts about Death Knight there at the end. Uh, and if you guys want to join the conversation, of course, you can always come do so at the Vicious Syndicate Discord. Uh, you can also follow us at, H- at ViciousHS on Twitter. Um, you can support the show, support ViciousSyndicate.com, support the reports by signing up for VS Gold or Patreon. When you do so, you get a whole bunch of sweet perks, such as access to the Supporters General channel and the Zacco Lab, where all of the cooking happens, whether it's... Uh, Face Hunter <laughs> twist related or not, all the cooking that happens in standard and all the formats. Um, so, report, you heard it there. There will be a normal report coming out on... Uh, which day was that, Zach? The 14th? 14th? The 14th. Okay. Right, 14th for the next report. Uh, keep an eye out for that. And again, twist content, maybe. Maybe. No promises, though. Uh, Evil Dave, thank you so much again, as always, for the podcast transcriptions. Thank you to Stephen Sensei for the intro and, intro and outro. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.